Well, once again, Meadowland, good morning. It is always a pleasure to be together. Uh, I grew up in the Lutheran Church. That's kind of my background. There's probably a few other churches we visited from time to time, but uh, majority of my memory growing up has been in a Lutheran uh, experience. And uh, there were specific things you're supposed to say at specific times. You know, the bulletin had different things that you're supposed to do. Sometimes there were creeds we'd read together. Uh, maybe you're familiar with the Lord's Prayer. We'd recite that at different times. Or you know, you'd have a hymn book, so instead of lyrics up on a screen, I'd open up the hymn book and you'd follow along and, and read. Uh, or, but it was always interesting. How, how, I always want to know, how do they pick which verse? Sometimes it was all of them, sometimes only certain ones. But there's just kind of a, an order to the way that we did things. And there's always... In all that experience, there was this one moment that anytime it happened, it just stood out to me. It was so confusing. I mean, every time I, we, we did this, I'm just like, I, I don't get it. I really don't get it. And it's the creed that you just saw played uh, and, and just heard read. Uh, it has a line in it that's going along. It says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. That's how it ends. Now, you can imagine as a young boy sitting in a Lutheran church, having grown up mostly with a Lutheran experience, what word do you think really threw me every time we said it? I believe, yeah, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. I, I, I didn't get it. What, I mean, like, I almost wanted to be like a little rebellious and you know, be, be the guy, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Lutheran Church. You know, I, I didn't know any better. I, I didn't do that. It would have been fun, but I didn't. But little did I know that that word Catholic in there, yes, there, there's a denomination, the Catholic Church, but in this context, in this saying, it's in reference to a universal, a holy universal church, which would be all denominations, all, all who call on the name of Jesus, all who uh, proclaim his name, and we just did, we celebrated communion. We all, and that, that's, that's throughout time, throughout location. I believe in the gathering of that. That is the bride of Christ. Church, capital C the Holy Catholic Church. But I didn't know that. I didn't understand that. And so it was so foreign to me. You know, in, in, in today's culture, I think a lot of us have no idea what we believe. As you look at your neighbors, as you look at those in your family, maybe you've experienced, maybe you come across some people, we're like, I, I don't know if you have any real understanding of what you believe. Maybe someone comes to mind who, you see them riding the waves of social opinion and whatever is socially accepted or celebrated in that season, man, that's what they believe. That's what they rally behind. But they're really, it's not so much putting their, you know, stake in the ground and saying, this is where I stand. It's more like a, a you know, feather on the wind getting blown about as, as culture moves. Or maybe they, you know, if someone, maybe you, this is even yourself, you kind of have a, a buffet style of belief where you try to have this, this all-you-can-eat buffet of all the different thoughts and theories and beliefs and understandings in, in this giant buffet, and you can pick and choose what you want. And we all know when we get to the buffet, it's really there's like one or two things we want. We just heap those up on one plate, and then you'll know, get a little, you know, okay, you got to have a, something green on the plate. But, you know, we kind of just pick and choose in this buffet style of belief. And maybe some of us make claims to belief, but have little understanding. That was kind of my story growing up. I, like I said, I was raised Lutheran, and so I said, I'm, I'm a Lutheran. And I didn't really understand what that was. And I grew in that understanding, and it made some, some shifts in my life. But maybe that's where you're at today, where you're like, hey, I, I got some things that I believe and some identities I would claim, but I'm not really sure what that means. And if push came to shove, I, I, I'd have to kind of look, okay, well, I, I'm this because my parents were this. So that's just 
how I grew up, and I've, I've never changed. I haven't examined any other beliefs. You know, see, we're all on a journey, and uh, my hope here is that as we take this journey, we each could have uh, affirming or a reaffirming of our beliefs. And sometimes that might mean, hey, there's some things that we understood incorrectly. We're talking about the Holy Catholic Church. We're talking about the universal church, not a denominational church. And so maybe there's going to be some things that are corrected for you in this next series that we're going to be walking through. Maybe there's some things that, that you knew, but you kind of drifted away from, and you're drawn back to that and, and, and reaffirmed and have that foundation put under you again. Because over time, sometimes uh, we can experience drift. We can move away from what we know to be true. We can say, here's some beliefs. Here's some things that I was, uh, uh, I've come to understand to be true. But as I've lived my life and I've just kind of let things happen, man, all of a sudden, the way I'm living and what I'm claiming to believe aren't lining up. If that's you, if any of these examples I've laid out are you, my hope was that each one of us could walk together in understanding what we believe, in understanding what is true, not only what we believe individually, but as those who come together and say, we are our disciples of Jesus, what does that mean? What do we believe as disciples of Jesus? Because you can look at one perspective and see, man, there's so many different opinions out there. There's so many different beliefs. And so what unites us? I mean, just look at this concept of denominations and Catholic and Lutheran and Presbyterian and all these different ones you can kind of pull out here and say, okay, well, where, where are we united? And so we look at this series called Together We Believe is this new series we're walking through. See, there's a recent study in December of 2017 done by LifeWay Research, and they found out that one in four Americans self-identified as evangelical. One of every four Americans self-identified. They say, hey, that's how I would identify myself, as an evangelical. But what was interesting, this is in, in the opinion of, of LifeWay Research, uh, they laid out what they saw as the belief structure of an evangelical. So if you are saying you're an evangelical, here's what we see is their belief structure. And they asked those questions. And what they found is only about half of those who identified as evangelical actually held the beliefs of an evangelical. And so again, we, we see, and, and there's been multiple other studies out there that support this, that, man, there, there is just contra, or contradictory beliefs that we hold at times. And so I think this, this summer is a good time for us as a church, for us as individuals, to examine what we claim to believe and to make sure we have it on a firm foundation, on something that we know to be true. It's been investigated. It's been looked into. We can unite around it, and, and we can go out on mission on that firm foundation. We can go and live our lives on those truths that we know to be true. It, it, it's clear the more we look at our culture that Maybe you disagree, but I think our culture is becoming that young boy sitting in a Lutheran church saying, I believe in the Catholic church and being so confused. And so my hope is we can grow in that. We can come to have a little more learning and, and have some things maybe even corrected. So one of the tools to kind of combat this drift away from belief, this drift away from understanding what we know to be true, that we see used throughout the centuries of the church is something called creeds. And we just heard one this morning, the Apostles' Creed. And I kind of, uh, I set my daughter up with a trick question. I said, so it's called what? The Apostles' Creed, right? So who do you think wrote it? She looks at me like, no, and I'm kind of feeding her lines like, the, the Apostles? Nope, it's not, the, not written by the Apostles. It's actually built on, on their, uh, their teachings. We're going to get to that here in, in a minute. You know, so those of you with, with a lot of church experience, you're probably in one of two camps. 
either A, this is bringing back some nostalgia, and you're like, oh, this is awesome. I cannot wait to dig into this series. We're going to be looking at the Apostles' Creed. I remember saying that. I saw the video, and I, I could, like, I didn't even know I had it memorized, but I had it memorized, or parts of it were memorized, and you know, I could at least mouth it and look like I used to know it, and you get excited about it, and you're pumped for this. Or maybe you're on the other side of some past church experience, and you're like, Steve, we're a church that teaches the Bible. Why are we talking about a creed? Stick with me. Don't just give, give, me, give me some, because, see, honestly, what we're going to see is that the creed is, is built off of the Word of God. And so we're just using the creed as a tool, but we're going to be looking at the Word of God here throughout this series. We're still going to be continuing to teach that, but this is simply going to be a tool for us to use, because, see, belief matters. What we believe matters. As we're all on this journey together, as we're trying to sort out what we believe, Others of us haven't even really figured it out or even uh, put those things to the test to even affirm what we believe. And others of us are in the midst of having our beliefs put to the test. And our worlds are being rocked in it, and we're trying to find out what is true. And so belief is important. Belief matters because it's belief is what moves us. What we believe to be true is what's going to motivate us in the things that we do, the decisions that we make, the things that we say because belief is what moves us. This is why it's foundational. A friend of mine is kind of a world traveler, uh, both in desire, but also uh, his line of work takes him all, all over the place. He's been multiple different places in Europe and in Asia. And, and recently he spent some time in India. And I was just asking him, what was your experience like in India? And he said, one of the things that just stood out to me is the, the vast difference between, you could say, the haves and the have-nots. The stark contrast, at least in the area where he was, between those who, were, were, who had wealth and then those who were living in poverty. He said, you'd walk out of a five-star hotel and it'd be in the midst of a slum. You kind of have slums and, and, and beautiful hotels, uh, very close proximity, and you'd walk out and see people just uh, begging off the street everywhere you go, and it just these two worlds were right on top of each other. And I kind of asked, well, how does the culture there respond to that. And one of the things that he saw in many cases is where people would say, you know, when you see someone in need, they say, no, don't help them. Because one of the prevailing beliefs in that culture is this, this false teaching of karma and this false teaching of reincarnation. And so they would believe that, hey, if someone is in poverty, if someone is in need, they must have done something in a previous life, and they've been reincarnated, and this is their new lot in life. And so there's a lesson they need to learn or something that they need to go through because of their past decisions, and so we should not step in the way. And so you get this very hands-off approach. Because of their beliefs, it moves them to act a certain way because belief matters. Let's look at another perspective of that. For those who, who, who put their faith in Jesus and, and are disciples of Jesus, we look at other people regardless of their background, regardless of, of any perspective or aspect we, we can identify, we see them as image bearers of God. As we understand how God has made people, we see that, 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 that there's a difference. God made all these different animals, all these different creatures and, and plants and all these different things, but then he forms man from the dust of the earth, breathes his very life into us. And we are made in his image. And so that, 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 that sets us apart from the rest of creation. And so when we look at someone in need, we see an image bearer of God. And we are quick to show hopefully compassion and grace and want to walk with them and help them because they're an image bearer of God. They're a child of God. And so you can see how belief, what we believe about those around us, moves us to the actions and how we interact with them, right? And so I think it would be important to say that belief matters. 
And so if you struggle with this concept of looking at a creed, know that we're, we're going to dig into the biblical beliefs that the creed is representing. For some of us with, with limited church experience, maybe you're still asking, what is a creed even at all? I've never even heard of one. Uh, what, what are these things? Well, basically, it's, it's a statement of belief that can also serve to unite disciples of Jesus as one church. It'd be a declaration of these I believe statements or, or these paragraphs of here's what we believe to be true. Uh, it was used in a couple different ways. Sometimes it'd be used for training, uh, for teaching and, and, and correcting. If someone had kind of, you know, was off on an understanding of, of uh, biblical beliefs and say, hey, let, let's teach you this creed because this kind of gives you a, a basis for Christian belief for those who are, who are disciples of Jesus. Uh, sometimes it was used as, as a proclamation in baptism at certain points in the, in, in the church history where when someone's going to get baptized, they would ask them, what, what do you believe? And they would recite uh, either a, you know, the Apostles' Creed or something like it. It's a statement of beliefs. Again, we're not sure who wrote it. Uh, we do uh, know that it's, it's built upon the, the Apostles' teaching. And again, those who would pause me and say, Steve, hang on a second. I thought we teach from the Bible. Why are we looking at this creed? And you're telling me that this creed comes from the apostles, not the Bible. No, no, it comes from the apostles as they're teaching on the Bible, which is honestly exactly what God's called us to do. A passage we talk about here often is Matthew 28. It's where we're called to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then what's that next verse, if you're familiar with it? Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. See, Jesus' call where, where he sends us to go out to the nations, to go out to everybody and make disciples of Jesus. He says, and then teach them all that I've proclaimed. Teach them everything I've said. And so that's what the apostles were doing. They were teaching what they learned from Jesus. As this thing called the church grew and grew, and, and there's a need for organization, there was a need for understanding They'd come to know Jesus and say, okay, so I, I believe Jesus is God. Now, now what do I do? What does life look like? And so they, they put together these creeds to kind of say, okay, here are the teachings of Jesus. Are they exhaustive? No. But it's foundational. And so these creeds are statements of faith, statements of belief. And as we step into the summer with this new study, I want you to remember a few things real quick. Again, this is a little bit of a different kind of series. Either we're, we're, we're going through a book of the Bible or we're kind of taking a topic and unpacking that. But this looking at a creed is a little different for us. And so I just want to highlight three things uh, before we move on. First is this. The Apostles' Creed is simply a tool for teaching. It's a tool for teaching. Um, we, we need to acknowledge this because a tool doesn't have authority. It's a tool wielder that has the authority, Right? The tool doesn't have authority. Uh, even in this sense, you know, the, the example part doesn't go any further than that because uh, the authority comes from the Word of God. And so that's where we're going to go to God's Word when it comes to looking at each week of, of the Apostles' Creed. It's simply a tool for teaching. It's going to point us to God's Word and something that we're going to study. So a certain aspect of this series is we studying theology. C.S. Lewis once said, uh, If you do not listen to theology, that will not mean that you have no ideas about God it will mean that you have a lot of wrong ones. And so if you really kind of let that sink in a minute here, it's like, okay, well, if, if I'm not truly investigating who I know God to be, if I'm not really looking to truth to see what do I believe about God, it's not that I won't have any thoughts on that, I just maybe won't have very many correct ones. And, and just think about how that plays out in your life. Have there been things that you don't really know much about, but you just still formulate opinions and ideas about? And all of a sudden you come across someone who, who knows what they're talking about, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, I, I, I don't have a clue in this area. 
If that's how you feel when we're talking about theological things, please do not feel any shame. Don't feel any embarrassment. We are all on a journey trying to take the next step in our relationship with God. And so maybe your next step is starting to dig into theology a little bit, the study of God and his word. Maybe this is a new thing for you, and that's exciting. Don't feel bad about that. Don't feel like, oh, man, I've missed out. But say, hey, here's an opportunity to start today and move forward studying who God is. And there's tools that we can use, and one of them so happens to be the Apostles' Creed. So it's a tool for teaching. The authority is not in the creed. This isn't something where if you wake up every morning and you recite the Apostles' Creed, man, there's authority in that. No, this is not true. The authority comes from God. The authority comes from his word that he's already spoken to us. This is simply a tool to help us remember it. It's also a creed that connects. It reminds us that we're part of a greater picture a greater body of believers. Um, I, I'm an extreme extrovert. I love being around people. And in college, this got me in trouble sometimes because if it was a choice between homework and study or go hang out with some friends, I'd go hang out with some friends. And, and you always have the opportunity to go hang out with friends in college. I mean, there's people everywhere. You always have that chance. And so I love being around other people. And I, I live with my, me, my wife. Uh, we have three kids. And then my, my, my sister's with us currently as well. And so it's often that there's people in the house, and this kind of weird thing happened last night. My wife is on a, a trip, a girl's trip with a friend, and uh, my sister took the three kids to Nana and Papa's house, and they stayed the night over there, and I was home alone. It was so odd. I mean, I, I just, like, wanted to take toys and just dump them out over the floor so I didn't feel alone. It, just, it was just this really weird experience for me to, to be alone again. And see, I think, Sometimes wherever you land on the introvert, extrovert, you know, whether you like being alone or don't, uh, we need to realize that we're part of something larger than ourselves. We need to know that we're, we're connected to something beyond our own little world, beyond what we face on a day-to-day basis. Because it's true. I think there's a longing for that in our heart. And, and this creed helps to connect. It reminds us that we're part of a greater picture, a greater body. Approximately 2,000 years of the church has used something like this, whether these exact words are a variation of them. And so when we look through the Apostles' Creed, we can remember that, hey, this is something that's been said throughout time. This connects us over years and years, centuries and centuries of the church. Like a baton being passed in a relay, it's now our turn to pick up the baton of God's truth and, and, and make much of his name and bring about his kingdom here on earth. It connects us with churches in other times. This creed connects us with churches in other locations. As we look at other regional churches, we know that, hey, we're on the same team. We're united in this. Something we've been talking about a little more frequently as of late is that we are part of a family tree of churches. That we're not just a solo church out there who says, hey, we're just going to go and plant this one little church. But, man, there are churches that have worked to plant us, to help support us and see us come to life. And we've sent out others and want to continue in that, to continue to send out others to continue to see more churches planted and started. And this creed, this common belief, is a connecting point. Every, every church that we would ever send out is going to be different than Meadowland. And the church that we came from that sent us out is different than Meadowland. And that's okay. That's okay. Because we're connected with this common belief system. And one of the ways we can see that and understand it is through things like creeds. Connects us with churches in other times. Connects with churches in other locations. Let's just get real honest here and, and look close to home. It connects us with churches in other buildings. I think it's easy to look at churches in other countries or churches, you know, in other states and say, oh, yeah, we're, we're one church together. 
Maybe you've never thought this, but as someone in church leadership, it's another that we look at churches down the street in the same community, and we just need to be honest here. We are not in competition. We are not in competition. If you've ever been taught that or raised up in that or come to understand that or witness that, my apologies, but you have it off. We are not in competition with our brothers and sisters. We are on the same team. We are united in these beliefs, even when it comes to those just down the street. So this is a creed that connects. It's a tool for teaching. It's a creed that connects, and that serves to reaffirm our foundation that's built on Jesus, our rock. It reaffirms this foundation. Or maybe if we've drifted off, it helps to recenter us. Because see, the storms of life can beat us down and shake us and, and rattle us. We had some stuff going on in our life. Of course, it always happens all at the same time, right? You can have in a year 11 months and three weeks of just everyday stuff, not much happening, life is good, no big worries. And everything that could happen is going to go wrong in that one week, one week right? You know, medical issues of loved ones, financial uh, uh, calamities or, or possibilities of, of big things going on. And, and my wife and I, we just kind of went through one of these. Of course, it was right before she's got a scheduled trip and, and different things going on. And, and there were a few days in there where I, I, I was just shaken. And I could, just, I could see how it was impacting me, and I wasn't sleeping well. And for those who know me, that's not often. <laughs> I, I, I sleep like a rock. You know, even my kids know that they come in, they go to mom first because dad's probably passed out like a rock. And, and this was just, it was shaking me. And so when we reaffirm what we know to be true, it helps to recenter us back on the rock of Jesus. And, and I was able to come to that place and acknowledge what I knew to be true about who Jesus was and what he says about me. Another way this can reaffirm our faith. Have you ever experienced this? For, the, for those who have understood the forgiveness of Jesus and then sinned after, which is pretty much everyone who's understood the forgiveness of Jesus, we've still sinned. And you feel that guilt and that shame of, man, I've blown it. You know, you, you're like, hey, before I knew Jesus, I, I had you know, all this sin in my life, and I came to know him, and, and I received forgiveness. But you know what? Then I... Then I messed up again. Then I sinned again after I experienced that forgiveness. And we feel shame. And our foundation is shaken. And you know what? If we're honest here, sometimes it moves us away from God. Right? Remember when you were a kid and you did something wrong? Were you eager to be in your parents' presence? If my kids are playing in the other room and it gets a little too quiet, or I go to check on them and I'm missing one of them, you know, it's not because we lost them. It's because they, they know they did something they shouldn't have. And that shame can move us away from God. We get shaken, but see, that's not what God calls us to. We are, we are offered forgiveness in Jesus. And even after we receive that for the first time, we're called to continue to repent, to continue. Any time that we would sin, to repent, to turn and go the other way, and to come to Jesus and receive his forgiveness again. And it's continually there. It's continually offered. We are forgiven in Jesus. That is a foundational truth that we need to remember because when we get shaken, we get built up into our shame and we begin to move away from God. But we understand that, no, no, there is still forgiveness offered. We come back to him humbly and repents and there is forgiveness and we are wiped clean again. That moves us towards God. And so things like this that continue to remind us of here's what we know to be true. One of the last lines of, of this creed is, I believe in the forgiveness of sin. 
the forgiveness of sin. If we're reminded of that after we just messed up big time, maybe you let someone down in your life and you just know, man, I just, I blew it big. Man, if I had known there's forgiveness of sin in Jesus, and that puts us on a path of moving towards God, of repentance and humility and trusting in him and turning and going the other way, making new decisions, new choices. So I just want to remember these three things as we walk through this series, that a creed is a tool for teaching. It's a creed that connects us to a bigger picture, and it helps to reaffirm our foundation. And um, in a little bit of time we got left here, I just want to step into this just a little bit. The first words of this creed are, I believe in. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. But just this, this, look at this concept of belief. I believe in. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 10. We're going to begin in verse 5, but Romans chapter 10. This whole book of Romans is, is basically the Apostle Paul is walking through a theological breakdown of, hey, let me just break this down for you. Here, here's what it means. Uh, here's what Jesus did for us, and, and here's how we live this out. And he's been laying this down all throughout Romans. And we get later on in his letter here, Romans chapter 10, verse 5. He's been talking about righteousness. How, how do we become right in the eyes of God? And, and so first he looks back. The old way. Some of his audience would have been Jews, and, and, and so they had an old way. They knew how they achieved righteousness. He says this in, in Romans chapter uh, 10, verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. So, so Paul's referring to this Jewish law when he says uh, 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 the law. This Jewish law, the Torah. If you're familiar with the Torah, it's, it's over 600 commands of God that have been organized, and, and the, the, the uh, Jewish leaders would, would set up uh, actually sometimes rules and, and limitations that kind of keep you away from those. It's called putting a hedge around the Torah. Uh, basically, if, if your parents said, uh, don't go in the room with the china hutch, and you said, okay, well, the china hutch is on the first floor. So if I just avoid the first floor of my house altogether, I'll never go in the room with the china hutch. And so it's kind of that kind of thing. They put this extra barriers on it. And so there's all these different things that they put in place. And so Paul said, hey, Moses said, hey, you can live by righteousness based on the law, uh, but then you're, you're going to live by the commandments. And if we really unpack that, we see that it's really no way to receive righteousness because the more we follow the law, the more we understand the law, the more we see we've broken it. Right? The more we see we've broken. I mean, fast forward today and just look at the law of the land. Every last one of us is a lawbreaker. Look at the things that God's called us to. Every last one of us is a lawbreaker. Let's just start something simple. Has anyone ever been deceitful? Anybody ever had a lack of integrity moment where you lied? Don't need to raise your hands. Mine's up there, but I'm assuming we all could say, yeah, we, we've all lied. I think my little ones and how easily some lies can roll off with their tongue. How much of the law do you need to break before you're a lawbreaker? Just a little bit. So we ask this one small thing. I, I, I agree that it may be one small thing, but it's enough to break the law. It's enough to make us unrighteous. And so the old way, the, the Old Testament way was, okay, we, we live by the law with these commands. We try to follow these commands as much as possible to be righteous. But the more we understand the law, we see that we can't live up to it. And so we need a substitution. And so that's why they had sacrifices. They would offer an animal as a sacrifice, as a payment for their sins, as a way to make their sins, a ways that they've been a lawbreaker, the way to make them uh, righteous again. But this was an insufficient way of, of dealing with sin because, again, they would continue to sin. And so Paul offers us another plan, another path to righteous, righteousness. He says here in, in verse 6, uh, talks about a righteousness based on faith. 
But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, uh, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Man, first time you see this, it's probably like, what is Paul talking about here? He's throwing all these, you know, parentheses in there and all these little, little side comments. And the, it, maybe it, it, it's, it's an under, it's, it's a difficult piece of, of, of scripture to understand. And if I just kind of give an overview of what, what I think Paul's trying to talk about. He said that there's another way to look at righteousness. The old way was righteousness through the law. We found out that that came up short. That didn't work. And so there's a, a way of righteousness that's based on faith. And if you're going to go that way, don't say, hey, who's going to go up to heaven or who's going to go down to the abyss? Because then he kind of throws in these caveats that basically say, hey, Christ has already done that. Jesus has already done that. And so he's beginning to build this argument that it's not going to be based on your works. It's not going to be based on the things that you do because you can't do it anyway. But Jesus has already done it. He's already done these things. Who can go to heaven? Who can go to, to the abyss? Christ has already done that. A righteousness is built on, on faith. It's near to you as your own heart and mouth. Verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Just do a quick check. Heart check, yep, still there. Mouth check, yep, still there. Uh, if you can't find yours, ask your neighbor. I'm sure you can figure it out. They're, they're still both there. Um, as near as those are to us, the, 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 this Righteousness based on faith is that close to us. Let's see what he's talking about here. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If we really dig into this a little bit, which you don't have too much time to do, uh, but we we see this, uh, with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved, uh, the the, the, uh, justification is this beginning and ongoing. So you you are justified, you're made right, and it continues to be, be being made right. And then this saved part here, it's not so much talking about salvation in the sense of you are now made right with God because you just had that justification. It's talking about the, how God will bring about a, a perfect end. We'll be fully redeemed in heaven. So basically what he's saying, you can look at everything before up to this point of Paul's letter. He's saying that we are, with our heart we believe and we're justified. With our heart we believe and we're justified. We're made right by the work of Jesus, when we believe, then we're made justified, then we're made right. It's not in the actions that we've done, because honestly, the actions that we've done are what separate us from God, right? Hey, there was this old way based on the law, and all that showed is the ways that you've gone against God. It shows your separation, but there's an, a different way, uh, one that's based on faith, on believing that God is who he is, that Jesus is who he is, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, when you believe that in your heart, you'll be justified. So the question we need to ask here this morning of each of us is, do we know Jesus is Lord or do we believe that he is Lord? So you, you can make a comment like, well, I know he's Lord. Honestly, that's a lot of my story growing up. I, I knew for a long time. I, I, was, I was taught that Jesus is Lord, but I don't know if I really, think I really believed it. It didn't impact my life at all. It didn't change the way that I live. I didn't live in that reality. It's like saying, I believe the sky is blue, but that's not going to affect any part of my day whatsoever. So you can know something in your head, but to truly believe it, that's going to move us to action. That's going to move us to motion, to change. We can look back to 
patriarch of the, the Jewish faith, patriarch of Christianity, Abraham. Abraham receives these promises from God, where God basically speaks to him, say, hey, here's all these things I'm going to do in and through you. And Abraham could have said, I know this. I know God made some promises. But instead, he believed God, which means he acted on them. He moved forward in trusting in God, in faithfulness. We see this, and Paul references this as well, Romans chapter 4, verse 2 through 5. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And that here's quoting the Old Testament. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was made right because he believed God. So I thought salvation came through Jesus. It does. The, the, the payment for sin is paid through Jesus. And Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So when we hear the gospel of Jesus, do we believe God and, and live our lives in the reality of that truth? Or do we say, yeah, that's, I know that. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. I mean, when you work and you get paid, you, you, you've earned that. So what are our wages? What have we worked for? Well, we've, our wages, you know, really is death. Scripture says, for the wages of sin, the mistakes that we've made, leads to separation from God. Verse 5, and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So our belief in Jesus is counted to us as righteousness. Believing God was credited Abraham as righteousness. He lived a life centered on believing. So as we begin this series, as we begin to walk through, hey, what do we believe? Do I know what I believe? I encourage you to be talking about this at the dinner table. We're talking about this in, over the next coming weeks. What do you believe? And let's hold those beliefs up against Scripture. Say, are they true? And if they are, they should move us to action. If you were to spend more time in, in, in Romans 10, you see that Paul takes this next logical step and says, hey, so if this is true, let's go make it known. Let's go make it known. Make it known amongst the community, known amongst the world that Jesus is God. And that there's justification found in him when we believe. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time gathered together. Thank you that you make, make yourself known to us. That you reveal who you are. Jesus, I thank you that you came as an example of how to live. You lived a perfect life. You gave up your life on the cross and died. You overcame death, rose again, and ascended into heaven. We believe that you are God. We believe that there is forgiveness of sin found in you. We believe that when we believe in you that we are made right. We believe in the forgiveness of sin. We believe in the Holy Catholic Church. We believe in God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We believe in you, God. We love you. I pray that you would move us to action, move us to make you known amongst others, move us to be in a place where our foundation is reaffirmed and we can go out and be on mission for you. Praise all in your name. Amen.